Welcome to the Bottle of Brown Podcast, Episode 9, with my friends Pun and Leon. Both of these gentlemen are whiskey connoisseurs, and I've known them for over 25 years. You'll hear reference to some old inside jokes and our favorite pastime, movie quotes. In this episode, we talk about Brown, video games, the effects of COVID on the workplace, and Leon makes a surprise announcement regarding his status as an Ohio resident. If you'd like to support the podcast, please head over to bottleofbrown.com and click on the Amazon banner at the bottom of the homepage. We're set up for some affiliate marketing, and whatever you buy from Amazon yields a commission that helps support the podcast. We ask that you bookmark that link and use it whenever you want to shop on Amazon. No extra effort required, but we may see a commission from your purchase, which helps us to develop more content and expand the Bottle of Brown community. So without further ado, I give you Episode 9 with Pun and Leon. Thanks for listening. Happy Friday. So we're uh, we're sharing our brown before you came on. And mine is Port Ascag, which is 110 proof. Ooh. Matured in American barrels. It's it's an Isla, right? Yep. And what was it? It was raped by a campfire? Yeah, so Isla in oh, it's its own island, and they're famous for smoking peat earth. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. They, they smoke heat under the barley, I think, before they put it in the mash. So you get this camp, super heavy campfire, smoke, peat, salt water, and I love it. But a lot of people don't like it. But I'm one of those people. You don't like it. I, I told you my stance on scotch. A little on the smoky I'll, side for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll drink it, but that's why I like bourbon because it's not as smoky. Well, you get, well, you said woody, not smoky, right? No, either way. I, I mean, if I if I drink like, and we've already talked, you're not a big Johnny Walker fan, but if uh, if you're drinking Johnny Walker like blue, I mean, it, I feel like it's definitely an experience, but it also feels like I'm chewing on wood. It just tastes like burnt wood to me. So. Oh well, that's what Isla is. So maybe, yeah. Yeah. I would wonder if if the the scotch the scotches that you're talking about were Islas that somebody gave that you were trying. I have scotches. I got Balvini tonight. I will be doing a bourbon tasting. Oh, bring out the flight. I got my flight right here. I I'm starting with Michter's. Oh. Okay, M-I-C-H-T-E-R. What's the, uh, what's the proof on that? Uh, 91.4. Well done. Then I'm going to transition into Old Granddad 114. It's a good one. 114. Okay. Is that a 114 proof? Very well. Uh, oh, here we go. I know I that shape. This is new I know the me. shape of that bottle. And then we go to 1792 Small Batch. It's delicious. I'm sensing a trend. Then, because I love you guys, I'm closing with the greatest bourbon of all time. Oh, from episode two. It is Blanton's. Well, that's exciting. Go ahead. You want to know what letter? What letter am I working on tonight? T? 
Tonight will be N. N is the letter. <laughs> Which one? That's a good question. I don't know until I actually put them next to each other. Oh, so you can check on the horse? Is that the idea? Yeah, they're, they're in a different stride. Word. Man, it's just such an honor to be uh, in your garage, your, your man cave here, Pun. This, this is where it is. It's where the magic happens? I've been in here all day. Work. I work in here. I didn't have time for a nap today, but I was ready for it. And then, or the garden, but it's just, I've got enough done. I don't need to do much in the garden right now, but it's really looking good. I saw your uh, produce, your produce post was sexy. This is our life. Home Depot. That shit is real life. I don't know. I don't know if I'll have time. I, I don't know. I, I did the, I'm, I'm in the garden. Garden. And then I was like, oh man, that was some effort. I, I don't know that I can go through this day without a nap. You're an old man. You're an old man is what I'm saying. You're more of a 40 year old than I am. I have, I am six months away from a teenager. There was so much joy in this room today. <laughs> what have we become? When all this ends again and it's going to be adventure guides, soccer, baseball. Yeah, I mean, I do it. I try to do it because I know it's important for the kids. But literally, sometimes if, if adventure guides is twice a month, two weekends a month, there are literally Fridays I'm like, oh, my God, I don't want to do this. Too much activity. Sometimes. I've been doing a little bit of shopping around the California real estate market just yeah. to see uh, should I move out there, what it would what my life would become. Oh, mm -hmm. a lot of chatter on this particular topic. There is a lot of chatter on this topic. I will say I'm leaning pretty hard. I would say I'm about 75 to 80% on uh, becoming a Californian again. So whoever had the pool for 15 years in Ohio, uh, that would be the winner. Because I remember when I left, it was like, there was one month, three months. Yeah, I don't know if you're going to get that. Whoever had 15 years. I can tell you that somebody's brother's going to be looking for a job, though. Yeah, yeah, that I, I've already been hit up about that. Okay, good. Okay. All right, I'm going on to the 114. Somebody's brother. Yeah, but I'm looking forward to some, some lake days, and I've seen web presence of uh, Casa de Depaul. Yep. And uh, it's pretty impressive. I can't wait to, to be hosted in his mansion. And, uh, All are welcome. I've not taken the trip up to Lake Pleasant yet, because I do want to check it out. But it is, as far as I can tell, it is a legitimate skiing lake. They do rent boats. They do all kinds of water sports. I see the caravan of, of boats going up there. I've seen tritunes. I've seen jet boats. I've seen all kinds of stuff. So it's a legitimate lake. It doesn't have the cachet of Parker or Havasu, but from what I can tell, it's been packed every weekend yeah. for weeks. Like That was one of the first things to explode during the easing up of the shelter in place. Yeah. Everybody's like, we can leave the house. We're going to the lake. You know, what's interesting is, uh, and I don't know if that's one of those lakes or the lakes that you have around there have this type of service, but whoever invented the concept of the boat sharing, you know, you have fractional ownership for pretty much anything out there. It could be condos, vacation packages, jets, what have you. Somebody got really smart and did it with boats and lakes. Yeah. And I, you know, a lot, especially out here, even I've been like contemplating, do I get a boat? And if I do, what kind of boat do I get? Because I kind of like the pontoons for chilling and, and cruising, but sometimes you just want to go fishing and sometimes you want to go skiing. And all three of those are different, you know, different types of boats. So right. whoever came up with that concept to where 
you just pick the boat and the lake and your boat will be waiting there and you just contribute to this giant conglomerate of boat ownership. What a brilliant idea. Yeah, so, timeshare for boats. That makes sense. Timeshare for boats. But nobody really likes owning a boat, right? right? You like using it, but you don't like owning it. Like you can enjoy owning a car, even if you yeah. don't use it. Second yeah. homes, that sort of thing. I, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it takes all that boat ownership. Boats are just, everyone's heard, you know, they're just a hole in the water you throw your money into. But to have somebody who knows what they're doing, taking care of it, putting it through whatever service. They don't really do winterizing on your side of the country, but that's a big deal here. You got to winterize your boats. So they handle all that. It's pretty nice. I guess that was my pitch for you to go get one of those so I can come out and visit. <laughs> we can go on one of those. Get a boat boats. so you can come visit. You were supposed yeah. to come visit. I'll just come visit. You let a little thing like a pandemic shut you down. That's disappointing. You're going to have to work on that. Well, if I didn't have a, a three-year-old with respiratory issues, I might have been more aggressive. Mm -hmm. Do some push-ups or something. <laughs> she wants to do something to me. <laughs> I said, bust a move. Sure. Why aren't you getting on a plane? It's a steel tube full of contagion. What's going on? <laughs> Child is weak. <laughs> Shit's weak. Uh, what's what's that mean? High score? Did I did I break it? What's high score mean? Grandma's boy. Shit's weak. Shit's weak. <laughs> <laughs> Do you watch Brooklyn Nine Nine? No, but I've I've been told that it's worth it. Oh man, that I love the dynamic between uh, that dude from Hot Dog Time Machine and uh, The Office. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the main character Andy Samberg. Andy Samberg, thank you. Oh my God, I really like Andre Brower. I mean, I think uh, I think he's neglected as an actor. So the fact that he gets to actually play around, it's amazing. It's it's a great great dynamic between them. Okay, I found something. I'm ready. From the Economist, May twenty third, and I've been holding on to it to talk to you. Farewell for now to a golden age of drinking. The pandemic has hurt the booze business. No way. This flies in the face of something we were talking about earlier. No, no, no one that I've talked to in the industry has, has said anything. The only, the only challenge they're having is the supply chain to get it out. Um, with fewer, a lot of people don't realize how much the airlines were actually moving cargo and mail. So when they drastically reduced their routes, it just made it harder to get things from a to B. I'm sure Pun knows all about that, being in uh, in his supply chain world. But you know, yeah. I mean, not really. I mean, because what do we have? Uh, we had a big thing about force majeure, right? Because we are my division is only military, so we're F-35, we're F-18, F-15. If you for some reason cannot ship, and we and one you don't tell us, or or if once you when you do tell us. We immediately go get the government and say, "Hey, guess what? The country's not vulnerable," and they will. They send Department of Defense reps to that supplier and essentially nicely tell them, "Fix the problem, or we're taking over your business until it's fixed." My uh, my suppliers, if nothing else, they're getting you know slayed. And a lot of them, um, they ramped up a lot of production just to make alcohol at a high enough potency. So they could either donate it, sell it, whatever, so that they could have hand sanitizer out there. So a lot of these distilleries are just, they're, they're doing fine. I don't, I, where, where was that source? Where did you get that? 
This is The Economist. I, I, will, I will go in depth. Quote, so far, COVID-19 has not been a full-blown disaster for the drinks business. The speed with which wine and spirits stock in most people's cupboards has dwindled in recent weeks proves that drinking is not just a way to celebrate good times, but to endure bad ones. Sales for home consumption have boomed. Yet, even if there is plenty of pent-up demand for social lubrication when lockdowns end, a golden age of booze is probably over. The immediate reasons for this are social distancing and economic hardship. The first may have the more detrimental impact on wine and spirits producers. They are overwhelmingly reliant on bars, nightclubs, and duty-free shops where markups of 30% are common to encourage consumers to experiment with fancier tipples. Such, quote, premiumization, unquote, is crucial for profits, observes Mark Meek, who runs IWSR Drinks Market Analysis. It may suffer as people remain wary of crowds or travel. A wave of recent infections in Seoul's night spots is a bad omen. The continued rationing of restaurant space, sports, and mass entertainment will further depress sales of beer, wine, and champagne. Without a vaccine, many of these activities may take years to recover on top of the economic situation. So the idea is, yes, alcohol per capita by volume is up, but the profits, the margin, and the expense of the industry is down. That's going to hurt the industry. That's going to hurt the entertainment, not the entertainment, but the restaurant and bar industry, right? Because they're the ones getting the 30% profits for the markup. If people aren't getting it from the bar or the restaurant, they're going to buy it themselves. So it's just, it's just an asinine article from someone trying to make a big deal of something everybody assumes, right? If, if everyone's still pent up, all those bars and restaurants are not going to pick up again until they're, it's gone. But people are drinking. I've drank two times this week. Before I- <laughs> <laughs> I went out with Bill. That's good. That's enough evidence for me. I'm sold. I went to Bill's house with this 23. And then I brought four roses and then he had a red breast 12 and I had four, four little things of it. And then at the end, as like to get me to go and be like, here, try this chartreuse, which is like a mint flavored drink. And I said, you could have just told me to leave. I said, this, this is like the gorilla fart. The girl orders at the bar that they, they want you to leave or throw up. <laughs> but then and I finished a bottle after I made dinner last night. I was like, that's just too much for me. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I, I, I get, I, I guess I understand the lens that The Economist is trying to spin there. But at the end of the day, the spirit makers themselves, yes, they make different deals with, you know, with restaurants than they do with the, the liquor stores. But every state is so different. You know, the state I live in is so highly regulated, you know, that the booze that is shipped into the state has to almost be spoken for to even make it into the state. You can't just send a brand new booze over here and say, you know, we're going to try this one out. You pretty much have to have guarantees that it's going to, it's going to be consumed. And that's how they, they control it in this state. Yeah. There won't be anything languishing on the shelf, right? Yeah. I will tell you though, it's been a major blessing for us that are these bourbon hunters out there because a lot of the allocation of the really good stuff has been going to the restaurants and, and it seems like not enough has been going to the liquor stores. And by the time you get there, you know, an hour after the store opens, everything, the good stuff's gone. And uh, now the restaurants aren't drawing from that because they're not going through as much. But I promise you the exact amount of liquor is going into people's bellies. It's just it's coming out of the liquor stores, not the restaurants. I couldn't speak to the margin on, on the two. Uh, I, obviously, they sell it 
for a, a higher higher margin in the restaurants, but I'm not sure that the the liquor store the the liquor distributors or the the makers are are seeing any of that. So there's not a lot of data. There's no graphs. There's no typical charts and uh, visual analysis that the economist is known for. This is clearly an opinion piece. But uh, going further down the article, he goes on. In addition, two longer-term threats loom on the horizon: demography and drugs. Studies show that Generation Z is shying away from booze. There are sobriety parties now. Uh, he goes on to say that peak alcohol consumption has traditionally been between the ages of 18 and 34. Partly as a result in America, historically the world's biggest drinks market, total alcohol sales volumes have declined for three years in a row. Overlapping with youthful sobriety is cannabis. And because weed is becoming legal everywhere, the author makes the argument that duelists who both smoke pot and drink, you're going to see an influx of movement towards the sobriety movement, while simultaneously the people that were comfortable getting drunk are now going to lean over towards pot. And there is a possibility that those two could influence each other through peer pressure. Wow, you don't drink, man, do you? No, man, I smoke, we're cool. So the idea is that the coming demographic wave is adding to the golden age of booze going away, which could affect bars, restaurants, social drinking, so to speak. So again, there's nothing to suggest that volume is down or that volume has been affected by the pandemic, anything but super positive. So invest in Funyuns is what that article is telling us. Pretty much. All invest right. in weed banks. Uh, and then, of course, he starts to talk about China and certain brands of Baiju and blah, 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 blah. But I thought it was an interesting take because our experience is I've drank a lot more too. I started a podcast on it. I have friends who drink who have contacted me and said, hey, man, I didn't know you drank. I drink too. <laughs> I've so, easily, easily during this quarantine gone through 4X. Yeah. So to me, alcohol. the idea of farewell for now to a golden age of drinking, I was like, wait a minute, hold on. The economist usually right. isn't talking out of their ass. So in this case, it looks more like a prediction piece than an actual assignment of journalism. Just sounds like he's a nerd. <laughs> he's a nerd. He's a nerd. He's a nerd. The worst, I mean, like the news feed from Google, I just keep turning them off because they're just so asinine. These things that they think are are valid or or the stuff that that look good on according to their corporate parent, like Disney or someone, to say, oh, here's why The Last Jedi was so good. And, you know, it's, it's really, it's just propaganda. It's terrible. Well, well, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. I had a monumental day for me on Monday. I deleted all my social media. Good for you. And I hadn't done it uh, probably for 15 years, but it was just enough. You know, it, it didn't matter what side of the fence you were on COVID or any of the uh, social issues. Everybody, all my friends, everybody is just at each other's throats and uh, the misinformation on either side was just too much to bear. And I, I just couldn't stand it one second longer. And this has been the most liberating week I've ever had because feels good, doesn't it? It was starting to get to me, you know, yeah. it was. And I've walked away. I don't know that it's the equivalent of, you know, being an ostrich and putting your head in the sand, but. At, at it, some it point, could be. you just got to walk away from it and take a breath and go, the shitstorm is just too much. Yeah, it, it. it could be. The business models need to change for social media and, and for 
news. If it's an advertising based model where you have to draw eyes, it's going to be rage. Whatever you can do to piss people off is what's going to get eyeballs glued to the screen so you can sell advertising. It's just the business model has to change. Otherwise, it's going to be the continuing degradation of everything, not just social fabric. I, I just want to see. I keep it up there. I use it for the pictures. I do look at a few of the guys that are. Are we talking about Playboy or social media? You nasty, nasty man. You caught him. Talking about? I know. Look at him. It's fake. Years and nerve. <laughs> I just want to see what's going on. Yeah. I just want to know what's going on. That's all. You, you know, if, if, you, if you're in it for the entertainment of it, then I think it's completely innocent. But when just you- Watching the world burn, Master Wayne? Is that what's going on? Yeah. Well, my wife's a great example. She'll, she'll read, she'll go one post that she knows the post is going to be controversial one way or the other. And then she'll read the 400 comments down below of people trolling each other. That can be fun. And she enjoys that as it, from an entertainment standpoint. That can be fun. It is cathartic. Yeah. And, and just watching people. I mean, I think the true intelligence, I think we need to take some of these people who are just really, really witty and like redirect their brain power into like solving for cancer or something. Because <laughs> some of this shit is so funny like they're so good at getting each other and i'm just like you are your talents are wasted on this post you need to go out there and, and save the world with this with this brain of yours i think that's fair that the collective brain power of the internet is wasted i think that's a fair statement i've not seen any good comments it's all it's all <laughs> virtue uh, signaling. I, no yeah, good comments. a lot of a lot of virtue signaling well i'm not just talking about the the social unrest. I'm just talking about trolling in general. And I, if we want to talk about real quality trolling, one of the best I've ever seen was when Pun and I, and I can't remember, you probably have a better memory than me. It was either playing Half-Life or Battlefield, but we were playing with some kid and you were schooling him. Noob Master 69. Oh, and he, you were talking, he was saying something about his dad. Do you remember oh, yeah. this? Oh this was my God. this is Modern Warfare 2. It was Modern Warfare, okay. Oh my God. I was in tears laughing because this guy was trying to make you feel shitty and you flipped it on him so bad that he was screaming, screaming at him. And it, it and he was one was so calm and just so like like a knife, just like stabbing him in the face with each small little comment that was just boiling him over. It you was razor whip, my friend. It was pure joy. It was pure joy. I, his, his, the big thing was that he was saying his dad was a vet and he got shot like three times. I'm like, well, why didn't he duck? <laughs> if you're gonna get shot once, you should duck. You should stand and get shot another time. <laughs> he was like, you, you're a son of a oh, bitch, yeah. you're shot. He was just screaming. He was so lividly mad. You don't like the troops? <laughs> That's when trolling wasn't even a term yet. But boy, did you have it down. It was awesome. Quite a gift. I, I know. I tell he's not allowed to play games. He's What is he playing? Uh, Battlefront right now. And I tell him, I say, if you're going to play these games that have chat, I said, you have to go to a party first. And it takes away the little random stuff because these kids are, are just jerks. I didn't, I didn't mess with that guy first. That guy was messing with me. Oh yeah, yeah. He came at you. Well, that if you make a mistake, 
then they're just ruthless. They just get that warrior type, you know, stuff that nobody needs to hear at that age. Oh, well, if you if you engage, expect somebody to re-engage you. Yeah, that's that that was quality. I remember the map we were on. You know, they're remastering that game. Are they for Xbox and PlayStation? That was my favorite game. I remember the famous one was I was one kill away from getting a legit nuke. It's twenty four and zero, and I couldn't get it. I was all shaky. I was so angry. <laughs> Or I think we would just go hunt KJ and his friend who were nuke boosting when they were trying to shoot each other in the grass. We, <laughs> I think we didn't kill any other person. We just looked for the hiding spaces for KJ. <laughs> yeah. Good times. Oh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla coming out. Oh, very excited. So excited. For that. You know what? If they don't blood eagle someone in that game, I'm out. I think oh, they have to. you know I, I can't. That scene. Haunts my Woo. dreams. Woo. I can't believe that was a thing. I looked it up. That was a thing. That wasn't I still just want made to know up. why they haven't no. gotten to feudal Japan yet. What what better place to be an assassin than to be a ninja? Oh, they have to do it there too. You're right. They have to. Although you're going to do the I, French Revolution, and that's a time of assassination. Like everybody was killing everybody. You, you could do it in the street. I'm still not done with Odyssey. The, yeah. Did you do? Did you go to all the afterlife's and all that too? I haven't. Uh, I don't think so. I did a bit of a deep dive in Odyssey, but not much. Because if you if you keep going and you then you go into Elysium, Persephone's in there, and you gotta like you have to take down Elysium, and then you end up having to fight Cerberus, the three-headed dog, and you end if you take him down, it opens the gateway to uh, the underworld, and Hades is there and like all mad, and you make you you have to do favors for him because all right, all right, I might play it again. It's pretty damn exciting. cool. It's awesome. I, I, I don't know what it was, but I haven't been able to keep focus on the campaign games as much as I would like to. And maybe it's because I don't feel I have the time commitment or whatever, but I find myself playing Rocket League or Apex, which is just a quick... Yeah, Rocket League is where the cars play soccer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or Apex like fun. is a battle royal first-person shooter. And you can get in for whatever, 30 minutes and then be done. Whereas sometimes I'll just go, uh, I'll, I'll go into Witcher 3 and then like, it feels like I got nothing done. So I started that one over again, but that's just an excellent game. I tried to get into The Last of Us and I can't, yeah. I can't get through it. It's an excellent story and I like the play control of it, but they made it a little too realistic. It's like, yes, okay, if you were overrun with zombies, you'd die. Okay. The Last of Us. But it okay. requires... It requires a level of patience with the realism. And at some point I want to say, look, I'm playing a game. Where's the fucking Gatlin gun? You know, none of that. It's, I got to make a shiv by sharpening a stick and I only have six bullets. And it's like, no, man, I don't need this level of realism. I want a good story. So I'm, you, I'm okay, struggling. Okay, you want with zombies with, a, with fun? You go play Dead Rising. You can make a machine gun that uh, shoots dildos. Go on. Floppy, and you slow-mo it, and they're just flying by. The zombies like, and they, you know, it's hilarious. You can The funniest things in that I game. honestly couldn't think of a worse way to die. <laughs> it's literally... Explain that one at the sound, gate. The sounds it makes. Uh, I was struck Funny. in the head by a nine-inch dildo, vibrating. Might have been nine. I don't know if it was excited or not. <laughs> So, Dee, do you ever make your way back, back to Cali? Uh, I was traveling back to the home office for a while, and there's really no reason for me to be there because we had decided, you know, like last December, 
we don't, you don't need me to be there. We can do everything over video conference. Like we had already been work from home. Like if the experiment was successful, I moved to Arizona and I could continue my productivity. In fact, my efficiency went up because now I'm doing everything on video conference at all hours of the day. I have the freedom of my own office, you know, all, all of that stuff. Time came to cut budgets. It was like, do you need me back in California for anything? And they're like, no. So the only reason we would come back is for vacation or a special event. Uh, there's really nothing that's going to bring me back to California. There was a trade show that we were planning on going back to at the end of March. Uh, not so much, but that's about it. That's, that's the only thing that would bring me back realistically. Uh, Cause there's nothing left there other than you guys. So if there's an event, you know, a, a golf trip or San Diego or Santa Barbara, that's, that's pretty much it. There's no other reason to go. So it's an interesting point you just brought up though. I, what, what are you guys thoughts on what COVID is going to do to the, the new work environment next year? Do you think a, a lot of people are just going to go back to work brick and mortar like they always have? Do you think companies are going to be introducing more and more of the work from home as we were all forced into this experiment? But it seems to be, at least in our world, especially in, in Ohio, there's a lot of these companies that have said, you know what, this worked better than we could have ever hoped. We're going to start reducing our footprint on as far as brick and mortar because we don't need it because we're able to operate out without outside of it. And we were even thinking in our company that we were going to expand another building because we were running out of room. I can tell you that that project's dead uh, because you don't need any more room now that the work from home is becoming more and more popular. And I, and I will tell you that Z generation is incredibly in favor. And actually it's really hard to recruit now unless you have some form of working from home. That's been a topic of discussion on this podcast for a couple of times. And I think what's going to happen is you're going to have office space reduced now because they have to do it with social distancing. So if you go back to the office, every other desk has to be empty. Anybody that had a desk job that didn't face a customer, you don't need to be there. So technology has been accelerated. I don't, I don't know that things changed. I think everything just accelerated. We knew we were going to work from home. We knew that the internet was there. We knew that kids didn't want to come into an office. Young people probably want to be in an office for the social aspects of it. But for anybody that's got kids or responsibilities or hobbies, the office is just an eight-hour trap where you could probably do your work in four or six hours. So my take on it is that any company that doesn't want to pay rent is going to pare down. Yeah. How are you going to train people? And that's a big part of some of it, having that experience, at least for some of the stuff we do in, it's, it's not all cut and dry. You put a PO here, you, you, you do terms and conditions there. Those are learning. The thing my teacher was talking about, or the professor was talking about was, listen, if, if people are working remote now, there's going to be a big question about me being in Southern California, making what I make. If I'm remote, if they're just hiring a guy remote to do these things, they might be able to get a guy in North Dakota to do the same thing and not need to pay him what they pay me. So that was an interesting, an interesting take on it. I believe it. At least in the short term. That would be throwing at least a, a bunch of a bunch of markets into right think of san francisco 
right? If Twitter and Facebook is now remote, those people do not need to be anywhere near that office. So you can find incredibly smart people in other areas of the country that don't want to go to a place that has an exorbitant cost of living, that have the skill set and the, and the cultural fit. You can find those people. So you can hire Indians or Ukrainians or you know, somebody from Alabama or Kansas that has a technical background. You can do that now, and it doesn't require any work at all. There, there will be... <clears throat> I believe very strong that there will be a dip in salaries because of that, because eventually people will realize I can go find these people, but then I think you eventually even it out <clears throat> to where there will be a balance of talent and demand because eventually you'll run out of those people and salaries will start to rise in specific areas. So you can't do nursing remotely. You know, there are some jobs that require you to be physically there, but for any knowledge work, absolutely salaries are going to drop. You know, why would you hire somebody to live in San Mateo and pay $5,000 for a single bedroom apartment when you can get the same skill set for a fraction of the price and that person's living large. So I, I absolutely agree. It's going to depress wages. But with that being said, anybody that doesn't want to be in those areas and they don't want to be house poor, they should be able to move and maintain their position with the company. I did. I got away with it. Yeah. You know, what happened then is I immediately started doing the best that I could to increase the efficiency of my work to justify it so that I could convince my employer right after the initial move. Yeah, this is working. So it takes some, it takes some strategic planning to do it, but I think you can maintain your salary and change your standard of living. But it, it's, if you're not performing, your boss isn't going to let you go remote because Part of that employment arrangement was that they were keeping an eye on you. Right. Do you still have to travel a lot or no? I did until all of this. Yeah. And now the company, the office in Irvine has had very specific guidelines on what you can and can't do. And what they've said right now is nobody can travel for work. If you're going to drive, fine, drive but nobody gets on a train, nobody gets on a bus, nobody gets on a plane. Yep. And because of the acceleration of everybody online, even Japan was working from home, which is unheard of. Yeah. I mean, talk about a regimented office culture. The clock in, clock out requirement is stronger no other place than Japan because it's a collective. So the fact that they were allowing work from home, we're living in the future. So is the Japanese culture, because you've been there so many times, like the Korean culture. I've heard a lot about in Korea, your relationship with your boss, everybody goes out and drinks. Everybody goes out and drinks and gets slammed. Part of their culture is everybody gets super slammed and then this is your time to tell your boss what you really think. And it's yes. totally acceptable. Yes. That is that the same in Japan? Yep. They call them nomikai. They're called drinking parties. It's an opportunity to go out and get slammed on the company dime. And the idea is that it's a form of team building so that everybody can be honest with each other, but it gives them plausible deniability the next day to say, oh, we were drinking. That never happened. But your boss remembers, you remember, you both know, but yeah. you don't talk about it. So for the same reason that you would go out and get absolutely hammered and sleep with a coworker, she wanted to, you wanted to, it never happened. And that's all, that's all it is in Japan is it's called that they, they say that every Japanese, and I imagine that there's a, a general Eastern philosophy around this, so it probably applies to Chinese 
Thai, Singapore, Korean. Everybody has three faces. The face that you show the world, the face that you show your friends, and the face that you show yourself. So there is a complete understanding of a duality in terms of what truth is. And you can say three separate statements and they're all true. And that's the culture. God, I wish we adopted that here. It's an elaborate form of office politics. It slows everything way down. And for those that play it well, you sky's the limit. But for the people that rely on, on truth and you know building a framework of foundation, step, foundation, step, foundation, step, that kind of linear process thinking just doesn't work in the East. That's a clearly Western thing. And the idea of speaking your mind at a meeting, you're an asshole if you do that. That's becoming a Western thing too. I don't know about your companies, but a lot of meetings I've been in, it's, you just, just keep your mouth shut. We, we do want to know your opinion and we want you to be, uh, we want you to be curious, but not here and not now. There's no point in talking. I don't even think, literally, I think everybody in my division is literally just taking this direction from someone that doesn't know what's going on. The things change every day. The, the targets or the goals or the, the action changes every day. And there's just no point in saying anything. It's literally just ride it out and try to stay off, stay off the negative radar, which is pretty frustrating. It's nothing going to get fixed. You can't, nobody can offer a solution. Keep your head down and go to work. It's pretty weak. There is a certain school of thought that suggests that you can get everything forgiven by success. You know, there's no problem in business that can't be fixed by more revenue. So in times of this, that this is legitimately a crisis. You, you know, you never take, uh, you never let a crisis go to waste. You know, I, I never. Know it's a Churchill quote. But now is the time to try stuff because if you're right, you publish everything. I did this, it worked, therefore I need to be listened to and you can build a lot of soft power that way. What? But in times of, can I get permission to do something when everybody's squeezing budgets? Uh-uh. So it's a wonderful opportunity for the risk takers, but if you're the type of person that can't tie your shoes without permission, you gotta be miserable right now. So true. I'm trying to remember, uh, there was a time I was in uh, London in the last couple of years and I had a British driver I'm trying, I'm trying not to butcher the quote, but he told me a Churchill quote that I, I just, I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. I'm looking it up right now. The way the British guy told it was so funny. It was like, Mr. Churchill, you're a drunk. Madam, I may be a drunk. Tomorrow I'll be sober, but you'll be ugly for the rest of your life. <laughs> be sober, yeah, yeah. You will be unattractive. <laughs> and, I, and I just, I would have loved to spend just one brandy session with a cigar with uh, with Churchill. That would have been, you know, whenever you say, you know, who would you like to spend time with dead and alive? At, Churchill would have been one of those people. Because that guy, the more and more I read about him, the more and more I hear about him. He's, he's a pretty big badass. He was, he was just something else, man. Talk about somebody who just didn't give a fuck. About what he falls thought. into a category of assholes that actually forced meaningful change in history. Yeah. I think Jobs is one of them. Bezos is one of them. Like these are guys with such big personalities that they move mountains by themselves. And I'm sure they're charismatic as fuck. Yep. He had to, I mean, Churchill is an awfully ugly man. Like <laughs> he looks, he looks like a penguin. He, there's nothing about him. He might've been the inspiration for the penguin. Yeah. That's, that's what he looks like. And when, when I was in London and I saw his stature, I'm like, yep, that's about what I thought he'd look like. 
And the guy absolutely in one of the worst times in in world history was the only one who kept his kept his wit and and uh, you know didn't back down. And there's a lot to be said for that. Banded his people together. Yeah. Bookend your question. It's very clear that education is changing. I don't think kids are going to go back to school. I certainly think that the price of education is going to come down rapidly because if you can't have the dorm experience, why would you pay for it? If you're going to do a commuter lifestyle, why not do the Cal State thing for seven grand a year? Or, you know, I think I saw a quote from somebody that says, we're charging kids $50,000 for Harvard and we're giving them University of Phoenix. It's, you know, you, this, this whole college tuition thing is certainly unsustainable. So you're going to see that change. You're going to see medicine change because people have to interact with doctors and medical staff on regular stuff via Telemoto because everybody's filled up the ER with COVID-19 patients. So you're seeing rapid disruption in a bunch of places. Sure. I don't think this is not going to last forever. If they find out someone created this and let it out, that's going to be a big change. There's always going to be a threat of someone doing it again, but if it's just another disease, we'll, we'll stop. It's going to slow the spread and it'll become manageable, right? Now you're not hearing about thousands and thousands of people dying. So, but by the way, Scotland uh, did get kicked to next year. So, oh no. I think both of you should uh, jump on board again. I'm silently weeping. And I was, let me tell you, you guys, did you lose your deposits there? No, or it just kicks to next year. Oh, okay. All right. All right. I would, I'll tell you, I would love to go and depending on where Kelly- laced with sarcasm. You're turning 40 next year. You're going. So shut your mouth. Yeah. Somebody's going to celebrate 40 in Scotland. I'm going to be 39 next year. What? You're not two years younger than me. Shut your mouth. I'll be 40 next year. I'll be 39 this, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're 40 next year. You're going. You know the math again. Do the math again. I wish my beard looked that brown. Are you using Just For Men? Don't don't you fucking lie to me. Use uh, beard oil? Yeah, your beard game is strong. It's okay. It's really, for for me, uh, the mustache down here grows since my lip curls. Sometimes the mustache grows into my lip, and it's it's super pokey and... uh, but I like it. But you don't have a, you don't have any gray. Uh, I've got a little bit. It's it's only it's just it's peppered through, but not a lot. When when I let my hair grow out a few days, you could definitely see the gray coming in here. Um, but uh, yeah, I've been I've been like I did the Dollar Shave Club or the, the six the six blades. Like even after like three days. Like one swipe and it's just like a razor close, just buzz close. And uh, yeah, I like some of their stuff. So that's been working pretty well. And it feels good. Like when you are hot and you get your head, your scalp wet, like that is like, oh my gosh. Like like a rag or something under your hat. That feels so good. (laughs) Better than anything. But... Well, I'm going to have hair for a while, so I'm not worried. Yeah. It's going to be great. I was glad I did it. Yeah. It's a good look for you. I wouldn't fuck with you. No, I got to tell my work people I got to really put on a face that we're, hi, 
<laughs> I don't look like a psychopath, right? Because I that's the thing. People say I look unapproachable with my normal RBF. I'm just, like, hey, what's wrong? I'm so happy right now. <laughs> this is my happy face. You don't even know. Having a great day. It's true. Even even on your best day, you have rest resting fuck you face. So exactly. So that's that is the best. What do you work on interview question that I could have ever thought of was to say this because it always because you can always I can say it humorously and immediately they say, okay, the guy is not a complete psychopath, right? He he's funny. He he's he and he's aware that he has you know this this stoic type stern look and he's aware what it does and you know so that's that's really what they want to hear that's and it, and there's always a laugh so just use that run it what do you, <laughs> where do you see yourself in five years celebrating the fifth, fifth anniversary <laughs> asking me this question <laughs> Please answer that one time. I've, no one's asked me that since I've had that answer. Tito. I see myself thinking about the year 2025 and this guy who asked me this dumb question in an interview. <laughs> this guy. Well, I value the time we spent together. Why don't you go spend some time with your family tonight? Hold on. Let me give you. Oh, I'm, I'm out. Got to do it. I got a little bit. I got a little bit. For the gods. I drank a lot of bourbon on this call. Mm. That's what it's supposed to do. Good times. Yeah. I'll let you know what date I'm coming out there. Yes, we'll have to come out for an arrival party. I'm gonna get my uh, I'm gonna get all my gear. I got my freshwater stuff. Yeah, we we want the salt water, buddy. We need the salt well, water. I know I'm getting it ready because uh, I get, the lake is gonna be I'm gonna try to get a kayak and go out on my lake for some carp or some catfish. Don't yeah. fish for carp. Why? Because you're better than that. I need my garden. Do you want to live or not? You want you guys want to come down here and have some fertilizer or what? You're better than that. Don't fish yeah. for carp. I just want the, the kids to have a great big fish that they're yeah, we caught that <laughs> bass there. Hey, inject air into a worm. You know that's the only way to win. I've got the injector. I still have the injector. As a matter of fact, let me let me show you. Not here. One more second. One more second. <laughs> I don't know where if you keep your stuff. Yeah, uh, remember this is the uh, you gave me the sticker. This was when I we remember that we went to the uh, boat show. A boat show, the boat and fishing show. This was like years before we even went to San Felipe. It's same tackle box. I remember that. Oh my god. Yeah. Still, still hanging on. All right. See you guys. Catch you next time. place is dead anyway, man. <laughs>